Good morning. I uh, <clears throat> had a unique experience this week as I was preparing for the sermon, preparing for Sunday. Um, <clears throat> we're in Mark chapter 2, so you can start turning your Bibles there. We're talking about the Sabbath and uh, Jesus' interaction with there with that. And uh, one of the things that has grabbed me and we're going to wrestle with today is how... <clears throat> how quickly and how easy it is for us to become distracted and become uh, idolatrous in our worship of God. And uh, typically the issue is the selfless, the, the focus of self. And so God thought it appropriate for me uh, to get sick towards the end of the week <clears throat> so that I feel horrible and be at home feeling horrible. And then to do it on Mother's Day weekend where I'm supposed to be caring for my bride and celebrating her. Isn't that a perfect scenario? The weekend that's not about you and you're sick and you get to preach on not being selfish and focused on yourself. It's wonderful. I'm so grateful for the perfection of my father's ways and how he has helped me this week. So let me start off by saying, would you guys forgive me if I offend you this morning? <laughs> Because I'm just going to try and be as honest as possible and just let the word speak for itself. So if if it bothers you, I'd let, <clears throat> encourage you to take it up with him. Because um, Jesus did this, and we're going to wrestle with a few questions about that and address those issues. Uh, I'd like you to know that God is testing me even a little bit more, because right now that's, I don't know if you can see this, but I have opened my sermon notes. <clears throat> So, we'll see if that gets here. Uh, it's very possible this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. At least we know what the text is. <clears throat> Mark chapter 2, wow. Yeah. You know what? Let's see what happens. If I get lost, I'll, <clears throat> I'll reach out to you. You know, the thing, that, the thing that I love about how Jesus does his ministry is that so often he, he challenges how we see things, he challenges how we interpret things, and he, and he tells us how it is, but the, the difficulty for us is often it's, it's us getting it. Um, it's not him miscommunicating, but it's us getting it. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been passionate about something and then had someone else come alongside of you and go, yeah, you're really focused on the wrong stuff. And then... Uh, just have him redirect your attention. Could you imagine the interaction that he's having with the Pharisees in this point in this text? I just want you to think through what this had to have been like for them. The Pharisees who are following him and who are watching over him and critiquing everything he's doing, looking for opportunities to accuse him of this stuff. And Jesus engages them in this way. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 23. On one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the, the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. 
And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, we know that the priests are following. We know that they're looking for opportunity. Last week, Alan preached on fasting and how John's disciples were watching him. So Jesus is on display here. And people are judging what he's saying. They're evaluating what he's doing, and they're watching him very carefully. And so here they're walking through the fields, and they're picking the heads of the grain, and, and they're, they're following this process. And we see them, uh, uh, Jesus calls them out. Don't you love what he does to them? Did you, did you see it in the text? Haven't you read your scripture? He says this to the Pharisees. Okay, that's not sinking in, obviously. He asked them if they read their law, the, the source from which they taught, where they were get, gathering the reason for accusing the disciples of, not, of breaking the law on the Sabbath, the, the things that they had developed out of this. They went to him and they said, haven't you read this? Now, where's the law at? If you look in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, we see that the law is laid out here very clearly. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 4, verse 5. You shall take flour, fine flour, and bake 12 loaves from it. And two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering and perpetual due. Now this is, I, I apologize, this is where I've gotten backwards in my notes. Because I forgot to, we didn't mention David. Uh, Jesus references King David, right? Going in and taking the bread of the presence. Um from from the temple back in the, the days of Abiathar the priest. And if you follow in the story, David and his men go in, and we're not going to look at that text this morning, but if you run back and read in First and Second Samuel through the life of David, you're going to see in that story where King David and his men are running from Saul, and they, they go to the temple. He has nothing to eat. His men are hungry, and they go in, and they take this bread from the bread, uh, from the presence, and, and the bread of the presence. And even the priest at that time, he looks at David and he goes, do you, do you understand how holy this is? Do you understand how big a deal this is? And David shares his need, and, and ultimately, if we were to read it, we would probably say he kind of lied to him a little bit uh, about what was going on because he told him that he was on a mission for the king. He, was on, he had orders from the king to go and do this thing, and it was so urgent that they left all their food and all their weapons. Does that make any sense to all of y'all? No. Who goes on a mission for the king without taking food and weapons? That makes no sense at all. That's like the worst prepared military movement you've ever experienced. And yet, here he goes, and the priest gives him the bread. And do you know the problem I have with this text? <clears throat> I'm just going to share it with you because it's, it's really a struggle for me. David broke the law. He did. Jesus references it here. The problem that I have is that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't deal with that issue. He doesn't explain how this is okay. 
He doesn't walk through and say, but you guys, here's the nuance of what you missed in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and here's how God got around this whole process of not killing David at the moment that he went in and took this and broke the law. He doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? Well, I think the, the second thing that we need to look at first, because Mark gives us one example of this, and it's in David, but Matthew gives us two examples where in, in this dialogue that he's having with the Pharisees, he actually has a deeper and a little more robust dialogue. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to pick up the story there, and we're going to look at what Jesus says according to Matthew's account of this same scenario. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It seems to appear, as we look at this concept of the Sabbath and the laws that the Pharisees had applied to this, that Jesus is saying that David was guiltless because of his need and because he came to the Lord and God provided that. Now, I, I realize in this morning's time, we're not going to expound on every aspect of this particular issue. Just, you can take a deep breath. We're not going to be here till after one because I have another idol. Uh, it's called sports, and I want to watch a game later today, which I'm going to confess shortly, so just hang in there with me. But the reality is, is that Jesus is pointing out something about the Sabbath that is profoundly relational, that's profoundly impacting to the lives of the people that are practicing that religion. And here the Pharisees are missing this point. They are, they are stuck on a particular rule or particular aspect of that. In fact, I would even challenge, I would, I would say that they're focused on a, a, a rule that they've added to help them keep from messing up the Sabbath. Now, do we do that? Do you guys ever do that? Oh, come on. Some of us have, we make special rules for our children so they don't get hurt, right? We put boundaries around them. How many of you grew up without helmets on your bicycles? How many feel guilty about letting your kids ride without their helmet on their bicycles nowadays? How many of you grew up with trampolines without nets around them? How many of you clowns jumped from the second story of your barn outside into onto the ground? Like, yeah, thank you. Right? And what would your mother say? My, my mom, bless her heart, I got to tell you guys, the thing about God giving us four children, four boys... My mom became so much more precious to me as I became a father of four boys. I realized some of the, the pain that she went through. But there was one particular time that she caught me. I was tied to the back of my brother's 10-speed bike, and I had built these plastic wings out of these little, like, 
pine strap wood things that I guess you use to hold tarps down to board, you know, to, to product or something. So I'd made this frame and I had him on my arms. I was tied to the back of his 10 speed bike on a skateboard going down the road. Can anybody see any potential problems with that? She did not think, no, I did not have a helmet on. Uh, my mom did not think that was a wise decision. And so uh, later on that week, she caught my brother and I. Um, we were attempting to dislodge a few of the sheet, the, the metal roofing sections on the top of our barn, which was a little over 24 feet high because I had my plastic wings and I was going to prove that that would work. Now, because my mom is a wise woman and she knew us well, she stopped me from jumping off of the barn that particular day and getting beat by my father for ruining the roof on the barn. Um, I'm not sure what we were thinking going out through the roof. But in my mom's uh, process of parenting, she put boundaries around us because I have the propensity to harm myself and think it was a good idea as a young man. Uh, I was going to have some of y'all raise your hands, but I, we're, we just won't go there today. I'm looking at around a few of the smiles on some of the young men's faces, though, going, oh, yeah, I see that. But the reality is, is that it's, it's from a good posture, it's from a good heart that, that I think that the disciple or the Pharisees, that the leaders of Israel were trying to protect the people from running into sin. The problem is, is that so often we begin to worship the thing in which we have put our focus on. In uh, Numbers 28, 9 and 10, you see the particular scripture that Jesus referenced about the Sabbath and how the, the, the uh, priests profane the Sabbath. Verse 9 in Numbers 28, it says, On the Sabbath day, two male uh, lambs, a, a year old without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil, and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offerings. I read that and I thought, man, where's the, where's the Jesus pointing to? And uh, in the dialogue, as I was interacting actually with a few of you and talking about this particular thing this week, it was mentioned that, well, they're just doing their job on Sunday or on the Sabbath at this time. I equate that to me because I thought about, well, when, what day would I take off? What would, be, what would be a Sabbath for me? Um, I'm not sure if you guys are up for this, but we, if you guys all want to schedule a day where you don't have any problems and don't ever need to talk to me, I'm okay with that. Do you guys want to do, can we do that? Come on. It's a spiritual thing. Here the priests are doing their job that they've been called to do, and Jesus points out to them that if you take the law, if you make this thing, the, the way that the, the, the prophets or the, the Pharisees are running this, that, that there's no way to keep this Sabbath holy, even from within his law, because they're working on that day. They're doing their daily work. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, so if, if, if you're saying that the, even the priests did this and they were held without guilt, what are you pointing at? What's the purpose? What's the focus that you are trying to get to us. And I believe one of the key things that we see in this is when he mentions that the Sabbath was not made 
or man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man. I think there's two key things that happen in this. One is that we need rest. We need rest. Uh, we have to. But I think there's a heart issue that probably is, at least for me, is more difficult to deal with than the need for rest. Because when I get tired, I, I find a way to rest. I don't know about you guys, but there's a point at which you hit the end of your road, <laughs> your body may get sick, it may go, hey, you should probably take a day off. There's all those kind of things happen. But do you know what I have the hardest time doing? I have the hardest time taking time away from the things I love and what drive me all week long and to make sure that I'm in good communication with the Lord. I am an idolater in my life, and I know it. I have a propensity to run after things that are not God. I don't know how many of you guys, um, I'm going to, this is where I, I hope I don't offend you because I'm not telling you to get rid of your phone. I, I love my phone. It would, probably would have brought my notes up instead of my computer today. Um, but you know, one of the things that I've, I'm working on doing for me is that I'm trying to turn this thing off so it's not an entertainment device anymore. Um, I've actually gotten rid of all my games and, uh, and other things like YouTube and goofy stuff that absorb all my time. And I go right to this instead of, instead of other things that I love to do. Now, is that a, we could make a rule. You guys want to do that? We could make a spiritual law. No entertainment on your phones. We'd all be better, wouldn't we? Yeah, but what if that's not a problem for you? What if, what if you're a book reader? And I say this on purpose because some of you look at me and they're all oh, that devil's machine. If only you just used your Bible, you wouldn't have these problems. And I loved Alan's encouragement to us last week. He's absolutely true. When I'm reading out of this, I get nothing else but this. When I'm reading on this, sometimes people can get a hold of me. But I've had people, I know people that are so addicted to books and reading that that's all that they are completely consumed with that as well. It's not because well, it's not because individually we're so bad. It's because we're designed to be worshipers. We are. It's the gift that God has given us. The challenge is, is that our hearts are so often drawn to other things. The Pharisees here, we actually see them becoming worshipers of their religion rather than worshipers of their God. We wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't become so convinced about our religious activities that we would fight over things that aren't in the Bible, would we? We wouldn't make up rules about what, I'm not even going to be that nice. <laughs> Somebody referenced the, the premillennial argument that's happening in our district right now. I'm not going to be that nice. That's something we might be able to have a discussion about. But do you know that there are churches that have split over what version of the Bible they're reading? There are churches that split over what kind of music we play? You guys, I want to challenge you with this. I grew up wrestling hard with hymns. I was on the rebellious side. I thought I needed to free all of you stoic Christians from the bondage of hymnals. 
I'm not going to lie to you. That I had a rebellion. I did mention that I had a problem with authority, right? The Bible school, they said that they were pretty sure that was an issue I had. I'm not saying that I was right. I'm telling you that in my own heart, I, I, I had such a focus on a particular kind of music that I was involved at times in waging war with dear brothers and sisters in the Lord over things that are not in the Bible. I was convinced I was right. Some of you sinners think I'm wrong because you love hymnals, and that's okay. But when we start to fight about these things, when we start to tear one another apart, when those things become more important than what God, in our relationship with God, then we need to be willing to confess that. Are there other traditions in the church that we haven't let go of? Probably. We're going to have them. I have them. I have my preferences. There's no doubt about that. But what's the focus? What is Jesus trying to focus on and get the, not only his disciples to see, but the Pharisees to see? In the Matthew account, he actually quotes a verse out of Hosea 6. You turn in your Bibles to Hosea 6, 6. I would encourage you to underline this, write it down, put it in your paper Bible, highlight it in your digital Bible, whatever you got to do. <clears throat> when I was teaching through Jonah uh, two years ago, Hosea became an incredible book encouragement and challenge to me. I found it to be um, one of those books that in the midst of great... Uh, judgment and, and even condemnation that came from God towards uh, Israel at the time, there is great hope in, this, in these books and in these prophets. And this is one of the verses that points to the heart of God, to I believe the purpose and one of the key reasons that He gave us the, the law of the Sabbath. Hosea 6, 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I believe how we can say this is that God desires to be in an intimate relationship with His people. He desires a relationship with you and with me. Now, if our propensity to be worshipers, or our design is to be worshipers, but our propensity, our our natural draw is to go off, run off and worship other stuff. Do you think there's a conflict there? Is there a problem there? Yes. You guys, I'm tired. Come on, come with me. It's okay. Absolutely. There is a challenge. There is going to be a battle for each one of us. Anybody, anybody in here daring enough to raise their hand and say, you have an idol with uh, sports. Thank you. How many of you are worried about what ha- what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks in the NBA? Couple of you? Nobody? Jerry and I are. Jerry and I are. We're Jesus lovers because we have we we follow that together. But but you have many other sports, right? Some of y'all like baseball, football. That's coming. Somebody in here likes rugby. I know, right? Not even not almost not American. Oh, I, uh, maybe hockey fans? See, I don't even know all the right sports. I, I'm, that's horrible about this. What about holidays? 
have our cultural holidays robbed the church of relationship with Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? We had a conversation on Saturday uh, talking about the wilderness and what God does to get us into a place in, of relationship with Him. And I think one of the most profound truths of Scripture that has really been impacting my heart this week as I've been wrestling with, what are the idols in my heart? What are the things that I find myself worshiping rather than Jesus? Where is it in my life that I need a Sabbath? That I need to set down the things that are consuming my life and refocus my attention on God. One of the verses that's passages that's really convicted me this week is Ephesians chapter 2. By the way, this is under what is our focus if you're trying to follow the notes that I don't have. Ephesians 2.19 through 22. Paul says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever heard this terminology, but um, when you look at this building, what do you see? Do you see the church? When you think of the church, is this what you look at? Stained glass windows and a cross and, and people dressed up? Because according to Ephesians, that's not the church. This place is not holy because it's his house. It's holy because he dwells here in you and in me. When we take a Sabbath, we're not, we're not coming back to the Lord. We may just be returning our focus to Him. When we're worshiping our idols, when we're, when we're dealing with the issues of sin that we have in our life, or we're fighting amongst one another over whatever issues we have, we're doing that in His presence because He's indwelling us. We can't go to church. We can't do church. We are the church. And it's a good father who took the Pharisees and his disciples and he's walking them through the process of religion that has blinded them from the relationship that God intended them to have. And it's going to cost him his life to put you and me in relationship with God. That's who we are. That's what the Sabbath is about for you and for me. It's to get our eyes off of the things that are owning us. It's to take them away from the things that we worship today. And it's to get them aligned with who we are to be worshiping every day. And by the grace of God, He knew that you and I would need a reminder. 
And so he set up a principle way back in the beginning of his relationship with mankind. And he said, do this because it's important for your relationship with me. What are you focused on today? What do you have next? I'm five minutes early, so you can relax. That's what happens when I don't have my notes. But what is it that's caught? What is in your heart right now? Is it the next thing that you have? Is it the next event that you have? Is it, is, it a, is it a conflict in your marriage? Is it a challenge that you're facing with your children? Is it something with work? Is it, is it something entertainment that you're not getting to do that you would like to be? What is it that holds your heart? Because if there's one thing that we've tried to make Sunday about the service process, it's, it's for us to come and put our eyes on God through music, through prayer, through, through looking at His Word. That's the intent of this. But there may be many of us that need a Sabbath rest from whatever it is that's consuming our hearts today, right at this moment, even as we're talking about this. I want to challenge you to take advantage of what Jesus is offering, even the Pharisees at that moment. He says to them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am master of the Sabbath. Put your focus and your attention on Him. It is in Jesus that we will find rest. It is in Jesus that we will find oneness with our Father. Is it in Jesus that we will find freedom from the idols that hold our hearts weekly and daily? I think the scariest part of this is that we can actually make spiritual things idols. Wouldn't it be nice if the religious stuff just always mattered for God? If we could pray without having selfish motives. If we could serve without having selfish motives. If we could read the Bible without having selfish motives. If we could make our recommendations for our preferences without having selfish motives. If we could make the laws and the rules that regulate how we live together as a church without selfish motives. Wouldn't that be cool? But it's not. And so Jesus is the only answer to this process. Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath? Does he have a moment in your week that you set down every other passion, every other responsibility, every other requirement and obligation, or idol, however you want to label them. Does he have that time with you? I'll be really honest with you guys. Uh, There are weeks that I struggle to give him that time because I'm so busy preparing for sermons or dealing with church issues or dealing with family issues. I have four boys. They're mostly out of the house. I guess that's a permanent state for any of you that thought you were getting rid of them. There's all kinds of all kinds of reasons that I can look at my life and go, man, God, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm glad you're patient and kind with me. But this isn't about this isn't about what he tolerates 
from me. This is about what he desires to have with you and with me. And it's a focused, intentional time. Brothers and sisters, we live in a culture that has mastered the art of distraction and idolatry. I don't know of another time in history where you can have as many things as you want as immediately as you want them. Everything from massive loans on vehicles and cars or homes and, and boats and luxury stuff to the little things that come on our, on our cell phones, constant ads. I have my GPS up and I'm getting ads. The ridiculousness. I'm driving with the GPS. Not supposed to be reading my phone. And what comes up on my phone? An ad. That's how far we've gone down the road. This whole idea of consumer feed the need of people to buy and to get and to, to, to feed this hunger we have. And that the intended purpose was always to have Jesus as Lord. To have Him the focus of our rest. The focus of our relationship with God. Is he Lord of your Sabbath? What idols would you have to lay down this week to say, God, I'm going to give you a day. Huh, I'm going to give you an hour. Some of us might just need five minutes. What would you have to put aside for that to be the case? I am convinced that this is a real challenge for me. You know, the first week that I took all my games off of here, I kept going back and looking at my apps. I'll look at the weather again. What the heck? People, that's a sickness. That holds way too much sway in my life if I'm going back and looking at the weather a second time. What holds your heart? What consumes your time? If it's not Jesus, if it's not Jesus, then we're living a deceived life. And we bought into a culture, we bought into a religion that somehow accepts a very, very weak broken relationship. And I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want that from you. He doesn't want it from me. We are called to be His children. We are called to be in relationship with Him. Jesus says, come and follow me. Would you close your eyes and pray with me this morning? I don't do altar calls rarely unless the Lord really lays it on my heart and He hasn't this morning, so you're okay. But I do believe there's times where he asks us to take a quiet moment and to reflect and to do a time, some time for confession. And I think this is the morning. If you are like me and you have seen areas in your life that you have allowed to become like that of the Pharisees, that where they were so focused on the law that they missed the God that was intended to be worshipped by that law. Or maybe you have fallen into the, 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 the trap of the idolatry of, of wealth and consumerism or materialism or whatever it is that's here. Maybe the idol in your heart is a sin issue that you're unwilling to repent from and release.
maybe even this morning you're here and, and God's been tugging on your heart and asking you to let him in and for whatever reason you haven't done that. I want to encourage you this morning to take some personal time with the Lord. We're gonna we're just gonna sit, I'm not gonna say anything, but I want to give you just a few minutes between you and the Lord to do the work that the Spirit is calling for you to do. Let go of those things. Surrender that life. Maybe open up and enter into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. I want to give you that moment this morning, and then I will close the prayer. Lord Jesus, this morning, I, I know that you are calling. You're calling for me to give everything that I, that I treasure, everything that I love more than you. God, in my, in my heart, I want to do that. And the reality is that in times in my flesh, I just don't. Probably because I don't believe that you're as good as what the Word says you are, or I don't believe that there's as much joy at the end of that process as what is promised by your Word. Or maybe I just believe the deception that, that this momentary fulfillment that I'm going to experience is going to be better this time. Lord, whatever those things are, I... I I admit, Lord, that I don't spend time with you like I should. But I allow the busyness of this world to creep in and to steal that time. Lord, I stand convicted of that in my heart. I stand before my brothers and sisters admitting that open because I don't want to live that way. And I don't want us as a church to get in the pattern of living that way. Of pretending that we're what we're not. So God, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that your spirit would convict in each one of us the areas in which we are holding on to idols, the areas which we have given up the battle to the flesh, the places, Lord, in which we have put religious rule in front of our relationship with you. God, that you would take this, this time, this day, this next week, and then you would use it to transform our hearts, to create in us a burden and a fire that burns to be with you, to be in your word and to put down the things that we hold higher than you. Lord, let us not be like the Pharisees who leave this encounter with you and go and plot to find a way to get rid of you. May you do the work. Would you do what only you can do?
change our hearts. God, I thank you that it's in the midst of this that we can hold on to Hebrews 10, 14. That with one sacrifice, you are perfecting for all time those who are being sanctified. And so, God, we joyfully hold on to the hope that we have in Christ while you do the work of transforming our hearts. I just thank you for who you are.